When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Hartman, Senior Editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com with you for another episode of Let's Ride, your Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning podcast as a part of the Behind the Steel Curtain network of podcasts. It is Friday Happy Friday, and folks, it is really hard to believe. This is the last Friday, though. The last Friday for the foreseeable future that there will not be Pittsburgh Steelers football that actually counts towards a record in a long time. Hopefully until February. And you think about what's about to go down, it is always crazy how fast the offseason goes. And we always talk about how it's the longest offseason And yes, there's little news cycles that happen throughout it, but it is just insane that next week, September 11th, we're going to be gearing up for that regular season kickoff in Cincinnati against the Bengals. It's insane. I Just a couple reminders. Next week, we're going to be doing a giveaway. I'm going to give you all that information. It's Homage Gear, H-O-M-A-G-E, homage.com. You can check them out. Their Pittsburgh Steelers collection is on point. They've got retro shirts. They've got some new retro shirts coming out. They even have some really cool classic shirts. Just awesome stuff. It's not just a good design. It's really good apparel. I can tell you that firsthand because I have a hoodie that is one of the most comfortable hoodies I own. Two, actually three shirts now. Just fantastic. So we're going to be giving away some swag leading up to week one. So be on the lookout for that. And also... Be on the lookout next week. That's my first time, the, the debut of my DraftKings three-leg parlay. I'm going to give you that next week on my Friday show, so be on the lookout. All right, there's a lot to talk about here, and we are going to get to Jerome Betts in the second half of the show and a heart-to-heart at the end, so make sure you stay tuned. The news. Let's talk about the news. So there's a lot of news, and we're going to get to it all, so pay attention. I want to talk a little bit. I was going to talk about this on Wednesday, but decided to push it till Friday, and it was Najee Harris and his injury. Now, Najee Harris did not re-injure his foot, thankfully, and everyone was making a big deal about Najee Harris. It was reported, and Mike Tomlin was the one that did the reporting. He said this. I mean, he didn't do the reporting. He's the one that said it to the reporters, that he had his foot stepped on, and this was on August 1st, the first padded practice, if you recall. Now, Najee Harris then, after the Detroit Lions Week 3 NFL preseason game, he says, you know, I don't know where y'all heard that, but I didn't have my foot stepped on. I had a Liz Frank sprain. Well, where they heard it from was the coach. And so all these media members are just really going after Tomlin. And there's one caveat to this that no one was bringing up. Sure, Mike Tomlin might have misdiagnosed the injury to his star running back. But a couple things to keep in mind about the injury. He does not have to tell you what the injury is at all. He could have said Najee couldn't finish. He had an injury. I'm not sure what it is. We'll get it evaluated and we'll let you know. And he, that's, he could leave it at that. 
He is not by NFL mandate required to tell you about an injury, what the injury is, or any type of designation based off of that injury. There's a chance that after practice, because you have to remember a training camp, Mike Tomlin goes from practice directly over and meets with the media. There's not much leeway in between. And so the media, the, the medical team could have said, hey, coach, he's like, what's up with Najee's foot? Oh, he might got have stepped on. We'll have to take a look at it. They could have said that, and he just reiterates that to the media. Come to find out, it wasn't a stepped on situation. It might have been stepped on, but that's not what the injury was. The injury was the Liz Frank sprain. People were freaking out about it. And then they were started questioning, you know, Mike Tomlin saying TJ Watt and all this stuff with his knee after the Detroit game, Deontay Johnson's shoulder. That can we take him serious anymore? I think it's a little overblown. Next Tuesday, when Mike Tomlin goes to the podium for his weekly press conference, he's going to be giving an injury update. And then starting on Thursday, I'm sorry, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you will see the injury reports. And by the way, in case anyone is ever curious where these started from, like why in the NFL do they have to be so specific? I mean, you talk about the NHL, okay, professional sports league, this guy has an upper body injury or a lower body injury. We'll let you know when he comes back. They don't have to be specific. The NFL, they do. Why? Gambling. <laughs> it's about gambling. That's why NFL teams have to say their injury report. It's not be, It's not to keep it fair. If Najee Harris has an, a twisted ankle, you know they could just say he has he has an injury. He has a lower body injury like they do in hockey, but they don't. Why? Gambling purposes. Still, I don't think that this is a big story. It's an awkward situation, but I don't think it's a big story. Okay, the Steelers made their roster cuts. If you listen to our podcast, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, you would hear, I think it was, we had a bunch of breaking news. Dave Schofield did one. Brian Anthony Davis did one. They did one together as they got down to the 53-man roster. Dave and I did one as they got their practice squad halfway filled. Uh, that was on Wednesday. So we've had a lot of those breaking news podcasts and another one on Thursday when they added three more players to the practice squad. But one of the players that got cut got claimed. When a player that's a, it's a veteran, or not a vested veteran, they have to go through the waiver wire. Teams can claim them off waivers, and it was none other than our buddy, Lustin Jane. Good old Lustin Jane. He got picked up by the New York football giants, and he is no longer a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, Lustin... It's been fun. It's been real. I can't say it's been real fun. Uh, Justin Lane is who I'm talking about, in case you're new to the podcast, and that's a long story that I'll share. That was from 2020 when he came at me on Twitter in in DM fashion. He uh, got in my DMs, if you want to put it that way. Not that way, but you know what I mean. Anyways, Lustin Jane's gone. I want to give a big salute. Bye-bye, Lustin Jane. Have fun up there in the Big Apple. We'll see if you last there. I'm not going to hold my breath. But speaking of the roster moves, the Steelers did make some roster moves. They now are up to 11 of the 16 players on their practice squad. I don't know what's taking them so long to bring these players in. The first eight were all players that were on the roster and in training camp. The last three were players that were from outside the system. So they have they still have five spots available, so be on the lookout. They're going to fill them out eventually. they got to do it at some point. So there you have that. Injury updates, they did place two players, DeMonte KZ and Calvin Austin III, on injured reserve. Uh, KZ, that was one of those things where we all expected it. We knew he was going on IR. 
He's got that broken wrist, whatever the injury actually is, whether it's a wrist, hand, I'm not so sure. And now he's he's going to miss the first four games. Calvin Austin III hurt his foot prior to the first week one preseason game against the Seattle Seahawks in Acrisure Stadium, the AC. Uh, but it's one of those situations where I think we all thought he was going to be back. Come to find out, the foot injury might have been more serious, or maybe they're just erring on the side of caution. They have a lot of wide receivers that can fill that spot, so they said, hey, take some time, get yourself acclimated, get yourself healthy, and we'll see when you can come back up. But those two players will miss at least the first four games on the regular season schedule before they are eligible to return. Other injury updates, I talked about how Alex Highsmith has been back at practice uh, Terrell Austin said he's been going through walkthroughs, doing a little bit more than he had been. So I'm not I'm not ready to say that he's back as a full participant. He's still dealing with a rib injury. Montrevious Adams not going on IR. That's an interesting tidbit there. We all thought that he could have gone on injured reserve, but he didn't. He should be on the mend and making his way back. So good news in that front. Okay, let's get to the heart of this podcast. Gosh, there's a lot of news. Like, I got to do this stuff. You know, I'm the only one that has three shows a week, and so I feel like it's my job, my duty, my responsibility to go through the news and what's happening with the Steelers. So still, we're going to get to the crux of this, and that is all about the thing. I, I teased this on Wednesday. It's at what point do the Steelers abandon the plan? At what point do the Steelers abandon the plan? And I'm talking about two specific aspects of the team, two specific coaches. And it begs the question, and I can't honestly tell you the answer. I don't think anyone has the answer. This is not something that you look into a book and say, oh, it says right here. You give it this long, and then you move on. It's not that easy. Where did this all stem from? I was thinking about Pat Meyer. Pat Meyer is the new offensive line coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's their third offensive line coach in as many years. And Kevin Dotson spoke about that to the media not too long ago, and they asked him, "How's it? You know, what's it been like? He, he was very political with his answer, and he said, yeah, you would like to have a coach that's been here, that you're comfortable with, that you know. He said, but at the same time, it is what it is. We have to, we have to perform. We have to take what he teaches and we have to go and do it and we have to do a good job with it so we all know pat meyer's a little different he's been around the league he's been with several teams he likes zone run blocking schemes his pass blocking technique is definitely different he is the attack first mode so in other words he wants his offensive lineman to strike first then retreat you can imagine how that's probably difficult for veterans that are so used to probably their whole lives setting, anchoring, and then blocking. And so that's that's a big thing. And this is why you've seen Kendrick Green look like he's stuck in sand, whiffing on a swim move, and the guy goes by him. Because when the snap goes, he's thinking strike first, the guy swims him, and all of a sudden he is blocking Johnny B. Air as they go by him and go hit the quarterback. James Daniels has had a whiff. Dan Moore has had a whiff. Jukes core four might have be adapting more than others, but even he his play has been average at best at times. Kevin Dotson has struggled at times. What I'm trying to say here is that these players have been around this coach now for all of the offseason. We're talking OTAs. Phase two is when they could start working with individual coaches doing actual drills. So OTAs phase two, mini camp, mandatory mini camps, 
You're talking about all of training camp and now three preseason games in. And it doesn't look good. It does not look good. And I lean on the people that know more about the game than I do. You will never hear me on a podcast say, oh, I told you this, or I I, I could have not, I knew that. I said this was going to, no, I'm not that kind of guy. I might predict a win or I might predict a performance, but I don't know enough about offensive line technique to ever once in a million years say, this is how it's done and this is what should be done. I just, I'm not that guy. You're not going to hear me say that. So when I think about Pat Meyer and I think about this scheme, the first thought I have is what if this continues into the regular season and improvement does not look like it's on the horizon? What are they going to do? Like that runs through my head. What are they going to do if these struggles with the offensive line continue and if the struggles are directly correlated to this system and this style of coaching? What do you do? How do you adjust? Okay, let's go to the other coach. We'll come back. We'll circle back. Trust me. Now, the other coach is Matt Canada. We know Matt Canada does things a little different. He's a little wonky in his approach, and he definitely has his style. He wants to run the football, but he wants to run it in a different way. He likes a lot of pre-snap motion. He loves shifts. He loves versatile players that can line up in a variety of spots. He is as unconventional as it gets outside of like the Baltimore Ravens with Greg Roman where they run the ball so much. Matt Canada just does it different. Different isn't always bad. Everyone said last year after the first Matt Canada year, they don't have the players. They don't have the horses to do the scheme. They don't have the horses to run the offense. So what happens? You get mobile quarterbacks in there that are more attuned to RPOs, those types of offenses. You bring in an entire new, almost new, interior of the offensive line with James Daniel and Mason Cole. You have a draft that is very offensive-focused. And so what do you have? And what do you have? Maybe they'll say that the players up front, the offensive line, that they don't have those yet to run the system. But whatever the case is, you have to ask yourself, at what point do you just say, okay, this isn't working? And this goes all the way back to the title of this podcast. At what point do you abandon the plan? At what point do the Steelers say, we got to make a change. Like We have to make a change. Now, again, I've talked about me as a coach a lot on this show, and it's because I draw experience from my time being a head coach. It was at the high school varsity level, and it wasn't football. Coaching is coaching. That's just my, the way I feel. If you're the one that's calling the shots, coaching is coaching. And there have been several seasons that I coached, and I had a really good offensive plan in the offseason that I wanted to install. And here we go. We had we had spent so much time on this. One game in, two games in, it is not working. And so you have to abandon the plan. And it's tough as a coach. You don't want to throw up the white flag of surrender and say we can't do it. We just can't do it. We, we, we just we physically can't do it. But you have to do it. And so at what point do the Steelers say this isn't working? It's not working anymore. When do you decide to make the change? And at what cost? What do you wait? Three, four, five regular season games in? If your quarterback is still standing? I'm not suggesting that they take this system out now. I'm not saying Matt Canada should change a thing. 
I'm not saying that Pat Meyer should be telling his offensive lineman, okay, forget about the strike first. We're just going to go back to very traditional style of blocking. You know, ball snapped, backpedal, anchor, pop, hit him. I'm not saying they do that now. My question is, at what point did the Steelers say, though, it's just not working, coach? We can't keep doing this. We cannot keep banging our head against the wall. It's just not going to work that way. We have to make a change. We have to figure something out. You got to make adjustments. That's what I want to see here, folks. If if I'm going to kind of wrap this first half up, you want to see adjustments. Whatever the case is, Matt Canada, this run play just doesn't work, so I'm not going to run it anymore because it's not going to work anytime soon. Pat Meyer, okay, what I'm trying to teach them is just not getting through. So I'm going to make an adjustment. We're going to still do that thing, but we're going to do it in a different way. You got to adjust. Good coaches find a way to adjust. When I talked about my coaching experience, I was able to adjust. And sometimes it meant taking that set, that playbook, that section of the playbook and throwing it away and saying, just forget about it. We're going to this now because I think it's going to work. Put your head and your heart into this. It'll work. And it did. But you got to make an adjustment. I want to see the Steelers make an adjustment. And hopefully that pays dividends for the people up front, meaning the offensive line and for the offense in general, because that's what the Steelers need in 2022 to really compete and to be a competitive football team. Well, I'm going to ask Jerome Betts all about this in the second half of the show. The All Bets Are Off segment's coming right up, and make sure you stay tuned to the end for the Heart to Heart. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Friday, it's the second half of the Let's Ride podcast, and it's my time with Jerome, Jeremy Betts. All bets are off segment. What's up, Jerome? How's it going? And a flurry of activity this week, Jeff, and uh, we're here for it. Yeah, I mean, we record this on Thursday, this segment on Thursday, and and something that just happened uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers was a shocking, I would call it shocking in my opinion, and uh, see if you agree or not, but that was... The Steelers decided to swap outside linebackers. They bring back a familiar face in Jameer Jones, and they get rid of Derek Tuska. Uh, Derek Tuska, who came in last year, I believe, or was it the end of 2020? When did he come in, Jeremy? I want to say it was um, the either it was either the end of 2020 or the beginning of 2021. Yeah. But I thought um, Jameer Jones and he were uh, contemporaries on the roster for a little bit there. Yeah. Um, and well, what are your they, thoughts on the move in and of itself? So I. Uh, I personally liked Jameer Jones a little bit better than uh, Tuska the last or last year and uh, realized that uh, Jones was um, cut, you know, just in the business of the of the NFL. It seemed like there were too there were too many uh, people in that room at too many dogs for the one bone, as Mike Tomlin would like to say. And so um, but I was sad to see him go last year. So I'm I'm excited that they get to bring him back. I think he provides a little more juice than Tuska did off the edge. And uh, hopefully he can be a solid depth piece for uh, a linebacker unit. That's gotten a a little bit deeper over the course of this week. Well, what do you think about the outside linebacker depth chart in and of itself? You bring up Malik Reed, who was obviously Mm -hmm. one of the guys that they traded for on Tuesday when 
They had to uh, trim their rosters down. So now, I mean, my gosh, you're looking at TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, yes. Malik Reed, and now Jameer Jones rounds it out. Are you more confident in that four than you were even just a week ago? Absolutely, 100%. Malik Reed will come in and be uh, a Melvin Ingram-type player mm-hmm. uh, as far as the talent that he brings at this stage in his career, younger than, than Melvin Ingram. But he's not going to come with the expectation of starting. He's been a rotational guy in Denver. That's the plan here as well. And so I think that that works better from a uh, the standpoint where he's he knows his role in this on this team, and that's going to be a big part of it. But uh, Jameer Jones and Malik Reed, um, we've gotten more athletic at this at the outside linebacker position for sure in the last week, and uh, I think that. Having the veteran presence of Reed, the uh, versatility of both of those guys to be able to to fill in on either side, I think that that is going to be huge as well. And yeah, I feel I feel like they did to the outside linebacker position what I wish they would have done to the offensive line position, which is bring in some guys that that make that group no longer an issue for the team. Well, the Steelers did make a trade on the offensive line, and they bring in, oh, my gosh, what's the guy's name? I can't even think of it. Jesse Jesse Davis. Davis. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I mentioned this on my Wednesday show. I just was reading some of the comments underneath tweets about, you know, maybe it was a pro football talk or one of the beat writers or something like that. And there was a Miami Dolphins fan that claimed that when the Miami Dolphins got rid of Jesse Davis, it was considered the greatest day of his football life. And that kind of was like, wow, that's that's a damning statement. And then a good friend of mine, he is a Dolphins fan. He sends me a text message and says, I can't believe you all traded. I don't care what you traded. You traded anything for this guy. Yeah. When he left Miami, it was a godsend. And I'm now I'm thinking, what in the world are the Steelers thinking? That's what I'm thinking. I wonder what they're thinking. What are you thinking? Or what were you thinking when the deal got done? I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't place my finger on who he was when I first saw the transaction go down. So I had to look it up a little bit and saw that he was a five-year starter at Miami or f- maybe four years and, and some of the fifth year. But, uh, you know, that looked good off the bat. But then you do. You start going into the dimensions and you start going into, um, you know, the uh, into PFF and, and places that actually grade him out. And, and you see that he was definitely below the line when it comes to um, a starting tackle or guard. He played right guard, right tackle uh, for Miami. And uh, uh, the fact that Minnesota brought him in this year and were willing to part with him is also kind of a in- indictment on his ability. We'll see how it goes. I think uh, in with having a new offensive line coach in Pat Meyer, you're probably looking at a guy who he saw could be a better scheme fit maybe for his style than Joe Haig. Uh, maybe that was the, the reason that that uh, transpired. But really, are you getting an upgrade on Haig from, uh, with Davis? I don't know. So the fact that they gave up draft capital, and granted it's a 2025 seventh-round pick, conditional seventh-round pick, uh, you know, so basically free if you're thinking yeah. about NFL um, compensation. But still, the fact that they gave up a guy that was in their building that they knew for this guy – makes you wonder what do they know that everybody else doesn't know yeah and uh, it's gonna be hard it's gonna be interesting to see 
Well, it, it, I, I just I think I said this on Wednesday. If not, I said it to my buddy who's a Dolphins fan. I said the hope is that they don't need to use this guy. Yeah. Meaning Dan Moore, Chuksakor for they're 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 fine. They're healthy as your tackles are playing well. Same with the interior, and that all he is is just depth. And it should be noted that when the the, the Steelers put Demonte KZ and Calvin Austin the third on IR mm-hmm. on Thursday. They brought back Trent Scott. Uh, he's, he's an offensive lineman. He is versatile. He could play. Everyone's freaking out like they're going to ask this guy to come in and start right away. I don't right. think that's the plan. I hope that's not the plan. Yes. Everything I did see and read about this individual, though, is that he's better run blocker than pass blocker. I don't know what the plan is. Has, shoot, no clue. <laughs> no clue. But you know what? I want to ask you about the approach. You brought up the scheme fit. That's something you said about Davis potentially with Pat Meyer. Now I just talked in the first half about the scheme fit and, and maybe the scheme being one of the reasons why someone like James Daniels might be struggling a little bit. It's Mm. different. It's not your standard operating procedure for an offensive lineman to strike first and then backpedal and try to anchor. At what point in your opinion, if this continues to go the way it's gone, do you say, okay, we got to abandon ship and do something different. Or do they never do that? That's a question because this is his first year. It'd be really tough to preach something and then say, okay, we're going to can it. But Mm -hmm. you can't do this all year, can you? What are your thoughts? Well, Jeff, I'll go back to my college days and I studied sports management and coaching in college. And uh, in all of my coaching classes, every single one of them, you're taught that as a coach, you adjust your plan and your scheme to fit the players that you have on your on your roster that you have to have some flexibility in that case and now i understand i'm not saying pat meyer goes out there week one and he says all right guys how do you want to do it uh and that's how we'll do it no he needs to teach technique he needs to teach uh universal um ability to these guys and then see how they mold into it and see how they work and after a few weeks, a few games of sample size, maybe you do take a step back and you say, okay, wait a minute, what are my guy's strengths? And if James Daniel's strength is not, or if James Daniel's strength is to uh, do more of a standard approach to pass pro and take his first steps back and really set the pocket instead of creating that first initial blow, um, then, you know, maybe that's something you, you say, Hey, we're going to adjust our, our scheme and our practice to fit what this group of guys does best. And that doesn't mean we're going to abandon our principles as an offensive line and, and the goals that we're trying to, to reach, but maybe how we get there is a little different. I think you got to have some flexibility as a coach. Yeah. I mean, you have to be, I guess, confident enough in yourself that you can say it's just not working, whether it's the players, whether it's scheme, whether it's the, the meshing of the two, it's mm-hmm. just not working. So I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. All right, I want to get your take on uh, some rookies. Uh, I, I I really liked this class. You know, when you think about the NFL draft class, there were only six players drafted, and yeah, they, they, people will have their thoughts about specific picks when they happened and all that stuff. But after after you know rookie minicamp, mandatory minicamp, training camp, the preseason, I feel like you have a bigger sample size to say, hey, they did a good job. And I, the one thing I want to mention here is that, you know, everyone was flipping out about Chris Oladokun getting <laughs> cut in the second round of cuts. Right. They had an undrafted 
rookie running back who could potentially be the running back, like RB2 <laughs> in 2022 is Rogier. What are your thoughts now? You're a big draft guy. Now that we've seen it a little bit more, what are your thoughts on the, the draft class as a whole? I'm very satisfied with it. I think you've got guys that are part of the future of this team. Uh, we, we talk about the first uh, four rounds really. And you locked in guys in those rounds that look to be contributors down the road. And maybe even this year as well, you're talking Kenny Pickett, who I think has a chance, just as good a chance to end up starting meaningful games this year for the Steelers as he does to be redshirted and coming in 2023 fresh as the new face of the, of the franchise, if you will, for the Steelers. And then um, you've got your second round pick and George Pickens, who's been lighting it up and looks like a, a guy who could in the next couple of years be one of the top five, 10 receivers in the entire NFL from a talent standpoint, if he remains healthy. DeMarvin Leal, he's a guy that needs a little bit of, of coaching and needs a little growth at the NFL level, but he's a guy that's got a lot of traits. And then Calvin Austin, you can't coach speed. He's got it. So if they can help him in his technique and, and his versatility on the offense, then I think that that's a huge pick. And really what you're you're wanting is those first two, three rounds to be guys that help your team in the future, right? And if the Steelers nailed that, and then fourth round they got a guy in Calvin Austin who can contribute this year, and then in undrafted free agency they bring in a guy who outplays all their other running backs except for Najee Harris and becomes a guy in that offense that can that can be reliable too, that's a, a fantastic draft. I would say if you come away with two players that contribute to your team over the course of their initial uh, contract and then uh, even get re-signed, that's a good draft. If you got three or four, you nailed it. Yeah, I, I really am just coming around to this draft class, and I had my doubts. I had my doubts about Kenny Pickett. Anyone that listens to the podcast that heard my reaction when we did the when we were all on the Zoom call, and all of a sudden they're recording what reaction. I'm like, oh gosh, not Kenny Pickett. Like I actually, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not hiding from those comments because I sure. made those comments. But honestly. They're all growing on me. And I said, I'm going to give them a chance. That was the one thing I did say that I will always cling to is I might not have liked the pick initially, but I said, I'm going to give him an honest chance. And he's played lights out. Pickens has been as yes. good as advertised. I'm curious how much Liao's going to play as a rookie. I, I really thought he flashed at times. I guess when I think about it, and I'll get your take on this. When I think about Liao, I could see him someone being in the second half of the season seeing more and more time. You agree with that? I do. I really do. I think he's going to be rotated in, um, uh, I think on passing downs mostly uh, as needed because he provides a, a push up the middle. And uh, he, we saw in the, in the preseason game, I think he had two passes defense and against Detroit. Maybe I know for sure one, I think he might've mm -hmm. had two. He he's very good in his awareness of where he's at. And uh, he knows how to watch the quarterback while he's making his rush. And uh, so I think that he can be used in some of those important downs. And as he continues to grow in, if he, I mean, he's got the ability to overtake some of the guys that are ahead of him, maybe like a Chris Wormley, even Isaiah Loudermilk, if he proves that the pedigree uh, matches the talent, then uh, he's going to have every opportunity to fill uh, a role on this defense. And so, um, it's going to be up to him, but I think he can be uh, an underrated but uh, important aspect of this defense going forward. 
Yeah, I mean the the, the Steelers draft class, and and I we didn't even talk about. It. I'm not even talking too much about Connor Hayward and and yeah. what he could do as a versatile piece. Mark Robinson might only be a special teams demon, but if he can provide that type of special teams play, you know, you look at Terrell Austin, he was saying how you know this guy's rough, like he's really right. rough around the edges, like he needs repetitions and just time. But he made the roster over Buddy Johnson. And Buddy Johnson was a fourth round pick. I, I I don't know. Let's go this way. Let's go this direction because we're going to bring this up anyways. Is it just me or is Omar Khan more willing to part ways with draft picks than Kevin Colbert ever was? I agree with that sentiment. I think he is. I think he's very willing to um, to not overvalue draft picks. And I think that that has been done to a point by Kevin Colbert. Um especially some of these back end ones is like, what, what are you expecting to try to do with yeah. these seventh and sixth round picks? If you can bring in a guy that has some proven NFL production, uh, then you're already ahead of the ball game with that seventh round pick. Cause um, Mark Robinson, for example, he's, he's a swing right in the, in the seventh round, a former running back, but has some, some traits, but that's what, exactly what he is, is a swing. Now, Jesse Davis, who they just gave a seventh-round pick for, he's a known commodity. It may not be great, but he's a veteran commodity that you know what you're getting. And so would you rather have something that you know for the same price as something that you have no idea what's going to happen? I think Omar Khan kind of leans a little bit more towards that philosophy than uh, seventh-round pick could be the next – or sixth-round pick could be the next Antonio Brown. You never know, yeah. obviously. Uh, that would seem to be more of Kevin Colbert's line of thinking. It, we're, we're learning so much about this entire organization as it changes and it morphs into the Omar Khan era, into the post-Ben Roethlisberger era. It's going to be exciting. And next week, we're finally going to have actual football to talk about. Yes, the sir. game with the Cincinnati Bengals coming up. I know I'm excited for that, but I'm also excited just to kind of take a little break this yep. weekend, Labor Day weekend, just kind of get my mind right before the, the proverbial real bullets start flying. Right. But... Jeremy, why don't you tell people what you have coming up on the uh, Steelers fix as well as on the website and where they can find you on social media. Sure. Before I get to that, I just want to make one more comment about the rookie class. um, Just real quick. I think we as fans need to take a step back a little bit too with our expectations in year one for rookies. I mean, Jeff, you and I can remember a time, maybe for some not so much, but can remember a time when it was literally – not possible for a first round rookie to be a starting caliber player for the Steelers. They just didn't look at those guys that way. They were next year, two years, three years down the road. That's what they drafted for. And so we get impatient now as fans because we want these guys to be contributors right away. Mark Robinson, if he doesn't play a snap this year for on defense for the Steelers does not mean he's a draft bust as a seventh round pick. We got to get that out of our heads. He's not a draft bust just because he didn't play in year one. So I just wanted to kind of throw yeah. that out there. That's my no, soapbox good. for the day. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So um, for the website, I've got, uh, I'm going to do a recap of the BTSC PPR league draft that we just had on uh, Wednesday. And uh, so I'm going to get that put up on the website here soon. And then uh, finishing out the last uh, fantasy football um profile with pat fryermuth i'm going to do a pat fryermuth profile then you can follow me on twitter at the bets 93 t-h-e-b-e-t-z-9-3 and looking forward to the start of the regular season people let's go yeah that's exactly right we're going to be gearing up for that and i that jeremy as always thank you for your time i will talk to you next friday sounds good man
All right, and a big thank you to Jeremy Jerome Betts. As always, on Fridays, taking the time. I always appreciate it. Okay, let's get to a heart-to-heart as we finish out every one of our Friday shows. You know, this week with roster cutdowns and the Steelers continuing to make moves and tweak their 53-man roster, I think it's very important that while everyone wants to focus on the negative, I can't believe the team cut this guy. I can't believe the team did this. They don't know what they're doing. This guy stinks. Why is he still on the team? Why would they trade for this guy? Whatever the case is. I think it's also important to, to remember to recognize the really good stories that are happening right now with the Steelers. Two in particular. I, I, we've talked about them a bunch. The story of Mark Robinson, even though it kind of seems like it belongs in a Disney movie, it's incredible. It is incredible. The guy's a, a running back in college. His school shuts down their program due to COVID that year. He loses scholarship. He ends up at Ole Miss, an SEC school, and they turn him into a linebacker. He plays one year at linebacker and gets drafted. Not an undrafted rookie free agent. He gets drafted by the Steelers and makes the 53-man roster. Are you serious? Like, that's insane. That's insane. It's a guy we should all be rooting for. That's a good story. How about Jalen Warren? Goes to Juco, ends up going to Oklahoma State. An undrafted rookie. I pointed this guy out. I didn't even know who he was. They did a team photo for mandatory minicamp. And I said, who's number 30 down there flexing on the camera? I don't know who he is, but I like that guy. That was Jalen Warren. He's down there literally with his arms crossed and he's just flexing. That, to me, right away I said, that, that guy has some type of confidence to do that. And is he's an undrafted rookie, his first mini camp, and he's there flexing on the camera. Jalen Warren is a humble guy. Don't take that the wrong way. How can you not like that story? No one expected him to do anything. Everyone talked about Mateo Durant. Everyone talked about Benny Snell, Anthony McFarlane. No one talked about Jalen Warren. And now people are talking about him being our running back too. I mean, think about that. That is insane. That is mind-boggling. So crazy, so crazy to me that these are really good stories that people are kind of just, I, I get that we as a society want to cling to the negative, but sometimes you have to look for the positive, and those two stories in and of itself are just awesome. They're great stories, ones that we should all be rallying around to Steeler fans, rooting hard for these guys, even if Mark Robinson is nothing more than a special teams demon as a rookie. And for Jalen Warren, even if he only plays 10 snaps a game, it doesn't matter when he gets out there. you got to be like, I'm rooting for this guy. What a great story. Think that. Think about that. Be an optimist, not a pessimist. Focus on the positive, not the negative. That's my heart-to-heart for this week. All right. For me, this weekend is kind of like the calm before the storm. Labor Day weekend here in the United States of America. I'm going to get some golf in. I'm going to enjoy this last weekend without a game. It's been a while because with the three preseason games, there's been a week. Every single week had a game, had to have to cover and all that stuff. I'm going to enjoy this weekend. I will be back on Monday. You may not be at work. That's okay. The Let's Ride podcast will be there for you whenever you want to listen to it. My Ride or Die crew will probably listen on Monday, even if they're off work. But if not, check it out on Tuesday, as as well as Jeffrey Benedict's Cutting Room Floor. So I'll be back on Monday. I'm going to enjoy this weekend. Going to get some golf in. In the meantime, you know how we finish it out here, folks. Be safe. 
Be kind and God bless. Go Steelers. We'll see you on Monday. Take care.